0: Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast.
1: Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, hosted by me, Martin Carl of Kibetic. and me, Johnny Combe of
2: Payback Phone. Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast takes a look at the impact of new business models and new technologies on urban mobility from a global business perspective.
1: And explores how each new solution fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. The format of Ride is simple. We invite top industry experts to join us for an open and candid conversation. Ride is about the guests, what they have to say, and what they bring to the discussion. You can find
2: more details about shows and guests on our website, www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. Martin, we're speaking to someone today who, it's fair to say, could be considered a titan of the auto industry.
1: Yeah, he's got a career in the auto industry spanning 42 years. He rose almost to the very top of Nissan. He then spent six years as the CEO of Aston Martin. He's now the CEO of a company called Switch Mobility.
2: So Andy Palmer is a name that's going to be known to many of our listeners and one of the interesting things that Andy spends a lot of time talking about is clean zero emission ability. He also talks about and distinguishes between zero emissions at the tailpipe and net carbon zero. And so we're going to hear a bit more about that when we talk to him.
1: It's not a complex explanation but it's one that I think he's best placed to deliver he's a very frank honest and open speaker and we'll hear that during the interview he covers a range of topics but I think we should point out Johnny that this interview was recorded out and about
2: yeah indeed we had the pleasure of um, getting a tour of the switch electric bus and so some of the background noise that we can hear are, are just things going on outside of the bus, but hopefully that doesn't trouble our listeners too much.
1: Yeah, let's hear what he has to say.
3: So I'm uh, 42 years in the auto industry, 23 years at Nissan, uh, eventually as the chief operating officer of, of, of Nissan, uh, probably most well-known uh, at Nissan for being the uh, original creator uh, and leader of the Nissan LEAF program. Uh, probably the world's first EV uh, in, in modern day terms. Um, I then spent six years at Aston Martin turning around uh, that and making it uh, profitable, which was, believe me, quite hard. Uh, and then for the for f- last 12 months, I've been basically working on a, a number of things, but the most prominent amongst those has, has been creating a company called Switch Mobility. Switch Mobility took Ashok Leyland EV uh, division and Optair in the UK, brings it together as as a new company called Switch Mobility, and is, I believe in automotive terms, the first net zero uh, transportation company. So basically doesn't emit carbon, is, is net zero carbon. Uh, And that's been my passion uh, during COVID.
1: Well, you've talked about net zero heroes. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you understand by that and what you're trying to achieve with Switch Mobility?
3: I think really my point is that uh, whilst politicians and world leaders might see this as a a cause to be championed, they're not really the the heroes of of the net zero drive. The, The heroes are those those scientists and engineers, marketing people, financial people that are actually bringing zero-carbon mobility to market. And you see it, you know, we're at this show today and you can see different solutions to to the challenge of net zero-carbon. And look, it's the greatest challenge that humanity has ever faced. And we need the brightest and the best to be applying their brain power to bringing different solutions and we're sitting on an, uh, an electric bus but this electric bus isn't just electric it, it's, a, it's a switch mobility solution and it's net zero carbon it hasn't been easy that's a higher, much higher bar than just a, an EV solution and those are what I would call the real heroes they're the people that actually uh, if you want to use a horrible phrase walking the talk. Can you just explain to us Andy
2: the importance and the difference of net zero carbon yeah
3: and what that means yeah zero emissions is is a widely abused term and I remember 15 years ago when I was responsible for the innovation of the then Nissan LEAF as you can imagine the Japanese uh, inspired vehicle so a lot of discussion on being precise about what we were doing you know very clearly we recognized that the LEAF wasn't net zero it was zero emissions we were very proud of having taken the the tailpipe away and and we were very careful to call it net uh, zero or zero emissions from tailpipe but that doesn't imply that there's no carbon in fact there is more carbon used in the production of an electric vehicle than there is in an internal combustion engine vehicle and we have to we have to be cognizant of that we have to be cognizant of the fact that most probably when you're charging your vehicle, you're not necessarily using sustainable electricity to do that. And what step from zero tailpipe emissions to net zero is huge, but it's also difficult to, to quantify it to the consumer because you've got to find a way of, of demonstrating that you know, you've used no carbon in the production of the car and you're using no carbon in the charging of the car. And that's the key. Now, can it be done? It can be done. This this bus that you're sitting on here basically is net carbon zero. We use sustainable electricity in the way that we produce it. We use sustainable energy in the way that we charge it where we're responsible for charging the vehicles, which in India is for all of the vehicles because it's um, mobility-as-a-service methodology. But even for us, it's impossible for us to take the carbon out of the supply chain because the supply chain isn't ready. So we have to, we have to buy carbon offsets uh, for the supply chain to get to a, a net zero position. That has taken us a lot of thinking, but it's, it's part of that thinking that, if you will, from my point of view, is the update 15 years ago, zero tailpipe with the Nissan LEAF. 15 years later, then basically the ability to
1: bring switch mobility to market as net zero carbon. Consumers just hear zero. They do. They don't really care whether it's net zero or uh, zero emissions. They hear zero. How then do the vehicle manufacturers take that into account? Because really it's incumbent upon them to make sure that it's the right kind of zero.
3: Here Here we go then. So those heroes that we're talking about. Here we're talking about the marketing heroes. The way of explaining that difficult to perceive concept of net carbon zero the true meaning of net carbon zero we need to find a way of communicating it to the customers they need to know that when they jump on this bus as opposed to another bus that they're basically producing or not contributing any co2 to the atmosphere so whether it's done on an app whether it's done on a label or, or you know anybody out there anybody's got a good idea how to execute that i am all ears but we have to demonstrate the value of net carbon zero. As I said, Volvo uh, and Polestar have been very open in trying to disclose the carbon that's used in, in the production of their vehicles. And they're very clear that there's 70% uh, more carbon, more CO2 in a, their electric car than in their internal combustion engine car. Fact. Now, over over time, of <clears> course, uh, you get to a break-even point and, and the Twitter sphere spends too much time debating what that crossover period is, which is not helpful at all. Well, I think what we need to concentrate on our efforts is, is reducing the amount of CO2 that's expended in, for example, making a battery, and that's where most of the carbon is, is expended. Uh, we need to find the technologies to allow that to happen so that we can get the carbon
1: out of the system. We're sitting on a bus, one of your buses, at an event that talks all about future mobility can you talk about the role of the bus in future mobility and in urban mobility?
3: Yes. I mean, look, the last hundred years have really all have been around rather selfish transportation, which is the age of the of the car, where no matter the length of the journey, no matter the number of people, you take your car, uh, and, and one could associate the car with, with freedom. Our planet is at peril we have to change the way that we live. And that's, you know, in in, in many different ways, whether it's eating less meat or it's changing the way that we travel. Changing the way that we travel, whether it's through voluntary means or whether it's through legislation, uh, means that we're going to have to look at transportation through a a multitude of ways of travelling. So the car will still very clearly exist. um, But we also need to be cognizant of, of using... Maybe e-scooters in cities, or electric trains. Probably there's a future for what sometimes is called the uh, the electric car. Uh, so, sorry, the um, flying car, uh, which is the vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, um, which can commute you across the city. Mm-hmm. But probably, and strangely, given that given the sort of the number of years that buses have been around, buses is sort of coming into its own. Um, because it's the most obvious way of, of transporting people through 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 cities with net zero carbon, and and so you look at the bus industry around the world for the next decade, and it's one of the fastest growing parts of uh, automotive growth, and you know lots of people looking at getting in. Um, good news is it's actually quite difficult to break into uh, bus making; it's quite a specialist area, and my company has obviously got ten years of experience of. of uh, of making electric, electric buses and vans so we, we have a little bit of advantage here but I do think it's a, a really really interesting space to be in.
2: One of the big challenges when you look at public transport versus car is the cost so as an example Martin and I live about 40 miles from London and mm. um, we took the, the train and the tube in today and it's a combined cost of about 110 pounds. Had we driven it probably would have cost a half of that, maybe a third of that. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is a political one, because it would be it would require a strong political move to redress that balance, yes. but one which would be very unfavourable with voters. How do you see that playing out as the importance of getting people using public transport increases, yeah. but for some prices is a prohibitive element?
3: So I said at the start of the podcast that 15 years ago uh, it was impossible for Nissan to do anything other than zero tailpipe emissions because zero tailpipe was within our own control. To to get to net zero carbon, which we we at the time called well-to-wheel, was just too big to digest because it involved national governments, local governments, energy providers, transport providers, connectivity providers. It was just too huge. 15 years on we've got to get those people involved and here i'm talking about national government and local government because the way in which they set fares uh, charge taxes has to be there to motivate people to change their, their their way of life it's not going to come necessarily through voluntary means it's going to come through incentives you can see that in norway with the now vast majority of cars which are purchased are electric cars their, their electric cars because the government has incentivized uh, electric cars, and, and the same is true for moving in public transport or, or scooters or, or buses. Um, I do truly believe that the bus is key, it's certainly key for what is sometimes called the last one mile, but it's actually more than one mile because uh, electric buses are, uh, urban buses are, are perfect for being an electric bus makes the, the, the technology is perfect and by its very nature a public bus is democratic and so wherever you are in the world for whether you're earning you know a dollar a day or you're earning a, a million a day you can use a bus and, and it's a very democratic way of, of traveling and reducing your carbon footprint and I think can it do it by itself it can't but but where you have transport providers and local councils to some extent, like like Transport for London, stepping up and making it affordable, that will change the way that people travel.
1: That point you made about a dollar a day versus much more a day is very valid when we're talking about the democratisation of mobility. Those people that are earning more a day are more likely to use private mobility. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience of selling private vehicles as something that people aspire to, to now selling a ride?
3: Yeah. Now, look, uh, if, you, if you you have wealth, then you're going to want to express that wealth, and nothing is going to change that. But what can change is the means of transportation, whether, whether it's a, a Rolls-Royce or a bus. It can become socially unacceptable to be travelling in something that's emitting carbon, in the same way that it is socially unacceptable to drive a car drunk. That wasn't the case 20 or 30 years ago. So... Uh, the, the way that, that society behaves towards something can force a change. So, you know, whilst somebody might be very wealthy, they might want to have a, a car like a Rolls-Royce, and that might be perfectly acceptable. What's not acceptable is that it's emitting carbon. So that will drive the manufacturer to making sure that their Rolls-Royce is net zero carbon. and And that puts you at the same level as the individual that's riding the switch mobility bus, which is also net zero. So everybody has their, their route to play, no matter no matter which form of transportation they use. The, the, the basic leveller is that we must be able to demonstrate that it's net zero carbon.
2: You talk, Andy, about the Netflixization of the car industry, the mobility industry. What do you see, therefore, as the role of the quote-unquote traditional automakers going forward?
3: Well, Netflixisation is, is, I suppose, my, my terminology for mobility as a service. Um, and, and basically what it's saying is that, you know, at the moment, electric vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, hot hydrogen vehicles, they're all more expensive than the traditional uh, the traditional internal combustion engine, especially if you drive to net zero. And therefore you've got to find a way of lowering the entry cost. And the way of doing that is Netflix, where you you don't buy the vehicle, you essentially rent the film. And, and the same is true. This vehicle here, this, this bus that we're sitting on, in certain places around the world, we won't sell you this vehicle. We'll essentially rent you the vehicle, but we'll also manage for you the charging, the, the hire of the drivers, the, uh, the maintenance, the insurance, and essentially we, we charge then on a, on a dollar per kilometer basis that's giving the transport provider the benefit of lower total cost of ownerships, which inevitably uh, electric vehicles bring over life uh, but it brings it up front and it means that the barrier to entry is much much lower you can you can read that across therefore to cars electric cars today i hear very often people say electric cars are only for rich people because they're so expensive look they will come down in prices as, as volume expands but one of the ways of overcoming that is not to sell the vehicle. It's, it's for example, sell the car and rent the battery or rent the entire, entire vehicle uh, on a, on a, a cost-per-kilometre basis. So I think increasingly we'll move to this kind of model, which I call the Netflix model.
2: Whose balance sheet will
3: the cars be on? Uh, I think that's where the innovation comes. It, it has to be a strong balance sheet. Let's be clear, this is an annuity model. Uh, where, where you've got a lot of capital tied up for a long, a long time. Switch is fortunate insofar as it's a, it's a big company and we take it on our own balance sheet. But there are other innovators, uh, startup companies and, and, and investors that are also talking about taking the, the balance sheet a hit themselves. Be clear, it's a, it's a very profitable model, but you have to be patient for the money to come back. It's a bit like, for example, Rolls-Royce sell their engines today to airplane makers. They do it on an annuity
1: model profitable but patient capital. So how do we ensure that the vehicle manufacturers of today, which are still essentially selling dreams, how do we ensure that they become manufacturers of products that may not even have their name on the front, essentially white goods manufacturers?
3: I, I think even on a, in a rental model, even in mobility as a service, it's quite you'll you're still have people looking at brands. So I don't think right. that the brand necessarily disappears. Uh, it might be, as I said, basically that you, you buy the car but you buy it without the, the battery and you rent the battery or you know some, some would say maybe the battery swap model uh, m- might work I'm not a particular advocate of that but, but you know, it, it's possible so I think brands will always play a part because as, as the human race is, is naturally aspirational as for the car makers changing uh, in my experience the car makers we, we, we're, we're extremely agile when we need to be so as society changes, as regulation changes, as homologation changes, the car makers will pivot quickly. And you can see that no better than to look at what, what happened in the VW group after Dieselgate. You know, the, the only way for Volkswagen really to survive out of Dieselgate was to pivot quickly towards electric vehicles. And boy, have they done that. I mean, they've, all of their cars that are being launched this year are all basically electric um, and some of them are even net zero. The ID3, for example, is net zero. So I, I think you can rely on, on <laughs> to some extent, you can rely on self-interest. Uh, a, a, as you put in place the infrastructure and the expectations of, of consumers, and it's always best if this is done from a consumer perspective, mm-hmm. Then, then basically car manufacturers will pivot.
2: Andy, you've been in the auto industry for 40 years. You've been an executive at Nissan. Um, you were the CEO of Aston Martin for a number of years. Knowing what you know now about the industry and where it's going, what advice would you have given yourself 10 years ago as a Nissan executive, for example?
3: I think, first of all, let me say that you know, we started the Nissan LEAF 15 years ago. And, and to some extent, whilst I'm pleased with what I see now, with what's happening in the industry and the move to electric, I'm at the same time somehow disappointed that it's taken so long. I mean, 15 years is it's, it's, it's three car cycles in, in car terms. I wish, to some extent, that I'd been even more of a zealot 15 years ago, that I wish I'd almost laid more all of myself behind the electric technology. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, it was a bet. I mean, it was an intuitive bet, but it was a bet. We could have got it terribly wrong. It could have been, I mean, you know, listening to my colleagues in the industry, one uh, American manufacturer had said to me, you might as well take your $4 billion and throw it in the Pacific. I mean, we, we, were, we were really given a hard time by industry and, and with respect by journalists. And it it was tough supporting it when you were seemingly lacking credibility, even. I think I did my best, but I wish I put everything behind it and and perhaps we'd have moved towards uh, an electric just a little bit more quickly.
2: It sounds like that's very much informed how you operate Switch today, then.
3: Yeah, look, you know, I inherited a company, um, well, two companies, Ashok Leyland EV Division and Optair. Uh, which were both making electric vehicles. But I very quickly said to the investors, this is not going to be an electric bus and van company. This is going to be a a net zero company. And they said, well, that just costs us money. And I said, yes, but it also informs the future. And what differentiates ourselves from every other bus and van manufacturer isn't the cost of the vehicle, isn't the the, the, the the branding, isn't the shape of the vehicle. It's the fact that we're today net zero carbon, and that's what will make Switch, I believe, ultimately successful in this space. So I am laying out all on myself, uh, uh, which is the learning from the past in this particular venture.
2: Andy, it's been a real pleasure having you on Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Ride the Urban Mobility Podcast is brought to you by Covetic and Pay By Phone. Learn more about Ride Podcast Partners at www.covetic.com and www.paybyphone.co.uk This episode of Ride was recorded and produced by Martin Strong. Natalie Webster provided marketing support and Thomas Novak provided expert insight and project management was led by Segal Mbuta. If you like our podcast, please rate it. A five-star rating will help us reach more listeners. For episode notes, to find more information about Ride or to sign up for updates, visit www.ridemobilitypodcast.com.